Good morning. I'm Spencer. I'm the president of 6-8 Ministries, and I am excited to be here this morning. It was such a privilege to be here. When Gene asked me to preach this Sunday and he told me the passage, I got really excited because this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And um, I get to share it with you this morning as God speaks to us through his word. Um, it's kind of been a weird morning for me. I, um, we found out unexpectedly on Friday that my son, my youngest son, Seth, is shipping out today for the Marine Corps, which that's obviously emotional. And then he's also our youngest, so we are now officially empty nesters as of 1 o'clock today. And then this morning, as I pulled out my preaching Bible, this Bible my daughter got me two years ago for Christmas, it's a large print Bible, I can't see it anymore without my glasses. So there's all kinds of stuff just going on this morning that God is trying to show me that I need to be dependent on his strength and not my own. But let's open with prayer and then we're going to read the text. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much that when we are weak, you are strong. With everything that's going on in our lives, we know that you have total control. Father, forgive us when we try to take that control back when we try to be in charge. And as we open this text today, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it, that it would bring encouragement, that it would bring conviction, that you would send your Holy Spirit right now, that we would understand it clearly, and that you would receive the glory. And we just give you the glory for everything you're doing in and through us. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, BJ preached, and I am going to be following that up. Actually, I'm going to read a couple of the verses he read last week because just the context alone, if you don't understand what's going on, it would be hard to understand this passage, but I'll give you an overview. So what has happened in the church in Galatia, which I love this series, Religion Ruins Everything, or I think that's the title of it. I hope that's the title of it. That's what I'm going to call it today. But um, religion ruins everything. And um, BJ talked last week and he exposed how Peter and Paul are in this disagreement, in this theological disagreement because Peter has been swayed away from the truth. So Paul is coming in and trying to lovingly bring Peter and the rest of the church back into a right theological understanding of Christ and grace. Now, what's important, what's cool, is this is not like Peter and Paul. It's not a Luke versus Vader kind of thing going on here, okay? It's actually two brothers that are united, and that's the first few verses we're going to look at today. I mean, it's hard to imagine. I know you've probably never experienced it, but it's hard to imagine that there would be conflict in the church, right? Well, there it is. And this is a beautiful picture, and that's not the sermon today, but this is a beautiful picture of how to handle conflict and disagreement within the body of Christ. So let's, um, let's read the text. This is in Galatians 2, starting with verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know what a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if we, in our endeavor to be found justified in Christ, we too have been found to be sinners. 
Is, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For, I rebuild, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so they might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now have in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I love that because what it's saying is what had happened was Peter got under the influence of James and the Judaizers and the Pharisees, and he had broken fellowship with the Gentiles because the newly converted Gentiles were breaking the ceremonial laws. They weren't getting circumcised necessarily. They weren't um, following the dietary restrictions. And that bothered the Judaizers and James and other people. And they're like, hey, no, 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 that's not going to work. If you're a good follower of Christ and you're a Jew, you should still do that stuff. So they kind of broke fellowship with them. So they stopped hanging out with them. And Paul's coming in and saying, that's so wrong and ridiculous. And Peter, that's not even what you believe. Let's just dissect it a little bit. First off in verse 15, this is where Paul shows some unity. He's going to show Peter, hey, we're, we're in agreement. We're, in, we're unified in our theology, and we're unified even in our common experience as, as good Jewish Christians. So he says, we ourselves are Jew by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, I want to I clear up something, and I got this from a sermon I listened to from John Piper. A lot of this came from a sermon from John Piper. I'm a huge John Piper fan as far as him mentoring. Not a fan, that sounds horrible, but I really like his teachings. But the word sinners there is he's not saying, Peter, you and I were born as kosher Jews, right? And we upheld the legal ceremonial laws that all Jews, we had the bar mitzvah, we had the circumcision, we obeyed all the Jewish traditional ceremonial laws that were established. So he's not saying that they're not sinners and Gentiles are. What this is saying is those Gentiles in the eyes of the Pharisees, in the eyes of the Judaizers, were committing sin because they were eating pork. They were committing sin because they weren't getting circumcised. So when they say, we not like Gentile sinners, it's really sinners. Matter of fact, if you have an NIV Bible, it might be in parentheses, which I like because that is the text here. It's not saying like they are sinners and we are not Peter. He's saying, yes, they weren't following the rules that the, 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 that the ceremonial law and the Judaizers had established, so they were quote unquote sinners. What's fascinating is who did Jesus love to hang out with? Sinners, right? Okay, so let's go a little further. Yet we, listen how many times he says we and are. Yet we, Peter, we know a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Peter, you know this. You walked around with Jesus. You have heard it. You heard him tell us this. There is no way that you can be justified in your own works. If you want to live by the law, which we're going to read later, you're going to die by the law. The only justification, the only which justification, what does that mean to be set right in the mind of God? 
that he can look at you and say, yes, it's okay. The only way that you're going to be justified with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't work hard enough to deserve it. It's impossible, and that's what he's preaching here. So, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified in faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I heard an illustration, and this is where I, I love this. So Paul just repeats it. He's like, Peter, you know this, so why are you trying to lay this law, lay these burdens back onto these Gentile converts? Imagine this. The law and obedience in God is a, a railroad track going off into eternity. And on that railroad track are cars, and you're sitting in a car. And in your car, you're trying to go down this track of obedience, of sanctification in relationship with God so that you can be found right in his eyes so that you will spend all eternity with him. Well, here's the deal. You're on that track and you're in a car, but then there's an engine. There's a locomotive. The power that can move your car is Jesus Christ, is God. That is the power that moves us into obedience. And then what couples us to that car is faith. See, we have no power in and of ourselves to move our car. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I agree with that, Spencer, you're in good company. Because that's exactly what's going on here in the early church. All the Jews, James, and even Peter has been led astray by this teaching that yeah, you're in a car, but you need to get out of your car and try to pull it yourself down the track through good works. And Paul's saying, no, you're in the car. Matter of fact, you're, it's, a, it's a first aid car. You're sick and broken. You have a broke leg, and you're just laying in that car. And then Jesus comes into your life, and he says, I will pull you. I will do it. And then our faith in that is what moves us down that track. But what we sometimes do and what the Judaizers were doing and what a lot of people, Christians in America do, is we like to take that railroad track and stand it on its end and make it a ladder and set it at the doorstep of heaven and think, I'm going to climb this ladder of righteousness and earn and work my way to heaven. And Paul's saying, that's an atrocity. That is not the way it works. Matter of fact, when you do that, the irony of that, that is exactly what God disdains. He understands that you're a broken, sinful, needy person. And that's why this message is so hard for prideful people like ourselves, especially Americans. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We work hard. You get what you deserve. You earn it. And in this context, in the most important thing of our existence, which is our salvation, our eternal salvation, we can't do that. And when we try to do that, the irony is when you start climbing that ladder of good works, God just gets further and further away because he's not going to bless that. He's not going to honor that. What he wants you to do is say, I can't do it. 
I will never be able to do it. I desperately need somebody to lay the track down and do it for me. Let's go a little further. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are be found sinners. Now, what he's talking about there is Christ then a servant of sin. So he's saying, hey, even if in love, as a good Jew, Peter, even if in love you sit down with a bunch of Gentiles, who, by the way, it would have been so crazy for the Jewish Christians. They spent their whole, Peter spent his whole entire life being taught one system. You work hard. The Pharisees say, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. You earn your way into a relationship with God. And Christ comes and says, no, that's not the way it is at all. So Paul is saying, even if you sin by eating pork with these Gentile converts and you're doing it in love, so even if you become a sinner, that's okay because you're doing it in Christ Christ is not causing us to become sinners. He's freeing us from the law. He's freeing us from being trapped in sin. Now, he's not freeing us to sin. And one thing I need to make clear, real clear, this is the ceremonial laws. This is not the Mosaic law. These are the Levitical laws that were attached to the law that Moses came down the mountain with. These were all the little ceremonial laws that were a burden to the people that the Pharisees were putting on people. And Jesus says, no, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will do it for you. So it's okay. You've been freed. And Peter even knew this. You have been freed. It's okay if you want to eat pork and hang out with Gentiles. Matter of fact, it's not only okay, that's when you're going to look most like Christ. And we read this, and sometimes we read this, and I think we do the same thing today. I doubt any of you have trouble eating pulled pork at Sonny's or any of that, but sometimes we take our cultural or ceremonial laws that we think should be attributed to Christian believers and judge people inappropriately for that. When I'm, I'm a missionary in Costa Rica, if you don't know what 6-8 Ministries is, we operate in Costa Rica, and I, when I moved down to Costa Rica, I was such a conundrum for so many of the pastors. Because down there, there's a lot of legalism talk. And I showed up, and I have tattoos. And I drink beer. Matter of fact, I don't just drink beer. I love beer. I love beer. And it's not a problem in my life. I have it under control. But I love beer. And I love drinking beer with friends. I love to smoke cigars. And all of a sudden, they were like, wait a minute. This crazy gringo who's doing all these things for God and says he's building this ministry for God and helping all these people and loving the homeless and working with prostitutes and blah, blah, you know, all the things we were doing. They're like, but how can he be a Christian? There's no way. He drinks beer. He has tattoos. I saw him down on the corner smoking a cigar with one of the homeless guys. How in the world can he be a believer? And it's because they had the blinders of legalism on. They thought that 
To be a believer, you had to, to be a gringo missionary, you had to not drink, not have tattoos, not smoke cigars, and you had to wear khakis and a collared shirt all the time. I mean, we laugh, but we do that to one another. We look at other people and we love to filter it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And Christ is saying, there's nothing good about you. There is nothing. You're dying in this train car on the tracks. That's what the Bible says. We were enemies to God. That is a Vader-Luke situation. We did not just ignore God. We hated him. And it says we were dead in our sin. Not that we were kind of rolling around thinking we could work our way out of it. It says we were dead in our sins and enemies to God. But then that's what makes the message of Jesus Christ so beautiful. Let's go a little further. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, what is Paul talking about there? What did Paul tear down? Do you remember who Paul was before he became a believer? He was Saul. He was this super Jew. He did everything perfectly. Matter of fact, he was persecuting and having Christians killed. He did everything right. And he tore that all down and said, no, that, guys, there's a better way. When, he, when Christ peered before him and he started becoming the Apostle Paul and preaching the message of grace in Jesus Christ, it changed everything. And he's saying, if I tore that all down and now I start to reconstruct it, then I become a transgressor. Then I become a sinner, a real sinner, Peter, not just a fake sinner, but a real sinner. Because now I am, it's like a smack in the face of God because I'm telling him, no, I think I am good enough. I think I can be righteous enough in and of myself. My self-righteousness can outdo my sin. And we know that's not true, Peter. We know that we are sinners and we desperately need Jesus. So then he says, he says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then in the verse, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, it says, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Think about that. He says, Peter, Peter, just like Jesus was crucified. And Peter may have seen that. We don't know. He could have been there and watching the actual crucifixion. But he certainly knew about it and heard about it. And he had seen crucifixions and he knew what Christ endured. Do you realize that the crucifixion of Christ, think about it. Christ was perfect. And he was innocent. So what's on display on the cross is our sin. It's an indictment of how horribly sinful we are. And we don't always think about that. We think as Americans, well, we're generally pretty good people. But if I was able to use that television and just say, hey, let's see what you thought about today. Let's see about what you said yesterday. Let's see about where your heart went, where your mind went. I'm not even talking about the outward disobedience, but I'm talking about the stuff that's going on inside your vile heart that says you are the center of the universe, that says you are the most important thing, that says everything should go to catering to you, 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 you. That is our flesh. And Paul's saying, no, 
Jesus saying, no, I am going to take all of that sin. And not only am I going to die for you so that you will be justified, you will be in a right relationship with God, but I'm going to send my spirit so that now we can go down that track of obedience. We will go down that track, and you will find out that it's way better to live your life full of grace, being pulled by the love and the power found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, rather than trying to work your way into a relationship with God through proper moral behavior. He says, and now the life I live, I live in the flesh, I live. Isn't that beautiful? I live. We're supposed to die to ourself. Matter of fact, it's a, it's a um, verse that we share a lot with 6.8. Jesus said that, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It doesn't mean that we're going to be physically martyred. We, none of us will probably have that privilege. But in Luke it says, take up your cross daily and die to self. Die to the idea that you can be good enough. Die to the idea that you are equal to God. That's what Adam and Eve wanted. They wanted to be like God. Die to the idea that there is anything good in you apart from Jesus Christ. But when he invades you, all of a sudden it frees us. We are the freest, should be the most happy, overwhelmed, joyful people in all eternity. And a lot of believers I know, they're not. They're just stressed out because they're trying to work their way into a relationship with God. And he's saying, I'm giving it to you freely. You just have to submit. You just have to give in and say yes. And then you'll be on that track to salvation or sanctification. So, in conclusion, Paul says this. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says, in closing, I will not nullify the grace of God. I'm not going to make it worthless. Instead, I'm going to collapse and fall under the weight of it, saying, I know I'm a sinner that's in desperate need of a Savior. Because when we try to work it out in our own power, that's exactly what happens. Is we say, oh God, no, I got this. One of the biggest lies in the church today is God loves to help those who help themselves. That's a lie. That is pharisaical teaching. And it's so dangerous. If the apostle Peter could be led astray by it, how quickly can you and I? So how do we reconcile it? Well, you'll have to wait till next week. I'm preaching again next week as well. And, um, but no, the way you reconcile it is through trusting in Christ alone. Give up. Give in. And some of you are sitting there just like I was. Do you realize that's what it says in um, 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven? I think, that for the Jews, the cross was a stumbling block. Because they had worked their whole life. They're like, no, it's got to be a system of good works. And for the Gentiles, it was foolishness. Because they're like, a great, mighty God would never come down and do that for you. But that's exactly the truth. When I was, a, I was raised Mormon, some of y'all know that. 
when my wife kept presenting the gospel to me, you know what the holdup was? You know what the hang-up was? Grace. No, I'll do my part, and God will meet me halfway, and somehow we'll, we'll come to an accord that I can work my way into a relationship with God. The idea of me just having to give up my pride, the idea of me having to give up that I had any ability to save myself, that was hard for years and years. And then I realized it's got to be true because I can't in and of myself just be more righteous. I can't stop sinning. And if you're sitting there today and you're stumbling about this, that's okay. I just challenge you. Make yourself more righteous today. See how that works out for you. Just wait for the next storm of life to hit. Just wait for the next overwhelming temptation to come. And you'll find out the only way, the way that God receives the most glory is when we surrender, attach our car through the operation of faith to that locomotive that's going to drive us into obedience. Let's pray.